Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. I am very excited to be talking about nerds today. What a funny word. Um, and that word is one that I invited Hannah Brannigan to come talk to me about because Hannah uses that word in a lot of her uh, materials. And I thought it was such an interesting thing to claim about oneself and, a, and to have a passion about. So Hannah, could we start by asking you a little bit about who are you and what do you do? Sure. Um, who am I? I don't know. I feel like that's a... a- a moving target. Big question. Recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I consider myself um, a dog trainer, um, a dog training instructor, a uh, clicker trainer. Um, I am passionate about positive reinforcement based training and teaching um, and, and good training and teaching, like good training and teaching practice and learning. Um, so I got into dog training because I thought I liked working with dogs and discovered that I also actually like working with people. And then I also like learning about learning. Um, and so that kind of took me down that kind of nerdy road. And so now I have, um, I have a podcast called drinking from the toilet, which is, you know, long form nerding out about any particular subject, um, in the dog and training world. Um, and I also teach a, um, an online mentorship program for competition obedience, which is a, a, I don't know, just a little like passion inside a passion, I guess, um, because I'd like <laughs> to make things harder for myself. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, so the uh, competition obedience, which is an, a, a sport that has n- not traditionally been um, approached from a positive reinforcement um, perspective. And, um, and so I enjoy trying to find new ways to teach the traditional exercises to, to a really high standard. And then, um, sharing what I learn with, with other people who are also passionate about learning how to do, um, these things in new ways, um, em- emphasizing, you know, all the good clicker training stuff. So not just the clicker, but the the way we break things down and the way we think about building behavior in a kind of constructive way, um, emphasizing reinforcement and minimizing errors, and then also applying that both again to the dog, to the person who's handling the dog, and then to each other um, in the community. So um, that's kind of a culture thing we're trying to build. Yeah, and it's such an important culture thing. It really mm-hmm. is to really um, focus on how can we set everyone up for success. Yes. All the way across the board. So you kind of touched on why nerd is such a good word for us to play with. The the learning about learning and the passion for, for diving deep into things. So to you, what does it mean to be a nerd? 
I think it, I think it is having a level of passion and interest in, especially like technical details, um, like understanding what's, what's, what's going on underneath, you know, like taking apart the toaster, but in, in a behavioral way, um, to figure out how it works. Um, I think we also, I think there's also to be a, um, to be a card carrying nerd. I think it's also part of it is enjoying spending time with other people with that same passion. Like we seek each other out so that we can have these, these detailed enthusiastic discussions about this, like really tiny niche within a niche that, that we're really, really excited about. But you know, oftentimes our families think is a little bit crazy and doesn't really make any <laughs> sense. So, um, but it's, it's a, there's a sense of belonging there when we find each other. It's like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> you, know, you, you get this. And like, let's, let's spend 45 minutes talking about sit and how dogs move their feet when they lie down and um, weight shifting and, and like you know, small stuff. And then how can we, uh, how can we engineer reinforcement strategies to get the effect that we want? And how do we optimize this, um, this process? What's really going on here? And, um, I think we also often like to bring in like a lot of cross pollination from like different fields that still kind of overlap in this Venn diagram of, of nerdiness. So like, you know, we often like, um, end up having conversations with the ethologists and, and, um, you know, people in neuroscience and, and behavior analysis and, um, and, and human sports as well, um, which is really interesting and, and, and human educators, um, and, and we you know we find where all these things overlap and then like, oh, these little connecting the dots just gets very, very exciting. And I start talking yeah. very fast. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's reinforcing for me. Yeah. My husband would always joke when I'd be heading off to a conference or anything, he'd be like, well, what are you, what are you going to be talking about for three days? Like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, we're going to talk about dogs. And he's like, no, but I mean, when you're not talking about dogs, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, <clears throat> Three days is not enough for us to be done talking about what what are you talking about? Of course we're gonna be all that time, every bit of it. Yeah. And we're like impassioned and leaping out the door to go, yay, I'm gonna go hang with the people who find this as fascinating as I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my sons make a distinction between nerd and geek. Do you make okay. a distinction between nerd and geek? Not at this point. Um, I think for my purposes, they're they're you know, fairly interchangeable. Um, I, I, I don't know if I were my best self, I probably would have looked that up in the dictionary before we started this conversation, but, um, (laughs) you know, um, I kind of swap them out. I do too. And then they tell me what is, what is, what is his explanation? Um, well, I think, I think my guys would say that you're a geek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as okay. opposed to a nerd. And and I have certainly been accused by my sons of, as being a geek many, many, many times. Um, but I think I think they see geek as having the passion mm-hmm. and nerd as losing all the social skills. You know, so like you you could be a geek and still be able to be socially appropriate. And if you're a nerd, probably everyone in the whole world knows. I'm not convinced of that. And I'm totally happy going with nerd and I do use them interchangeably. I was just curious what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I mean, and I, you know, I'm going to embrace that I am socially awkward so they could still both apply. Um, <laughs> and I would, you know, I would own that. That would be, <laughs> that would be fine. So that idea Mm-hmm. The embracing 
who we are is something that comes up all the time in the unleashed conversations and, and things that we're talking about because often one of our biggest sources of friction in life is thinking that we should be doing things differently or acting differently or being more like someone else yeah. and just saying, no, this, this is me. I'm showing mm -hmm. up and I'm going to be me in this moment. It's pretty powerful. And that's one of the reasons why I actually loved the word nerd with you because mm -hmm. I didn't say that you said it. I was like, mm -hmm. look, she's owning her passion for this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell me about how that resonates with you about showing up as yourself in all of the things you do. I mean, it is, it is actually really interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and I have a, a young daughter now. And, and so it's, it's, I'm, you know, she's just getting to the age where she's starting to have little friends. And so I'm watching those interactions and how they play out and how she's you know, kind of figuring out how to, how to be a people. And, um, and one of the things that I think about is like, what, what could I do? to help her like lay some foundation so that maybe it doesn't take her 30 years to land on some of the stuff that I, you know, yeah. Finally in my thirties, I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, like I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, I initially got into dogs because I was uncomfortable with people and dogs were easier. Um, and I had a lot of social anxiety and, um, but what I discovered through that work is that when I am with the right people and I'm talking about the things that I like to talk about um, and enjoy talking about, then th that awkwardness was, well, okay, I'm still awkward and I'm just going to, again, upfront. Um, I'm terrible. I can't take a compliment without being weird. Um, and that's fine. Um, but I, I've, again, I found the right, I found the people who, get that. And so they totally know um, when they're like, oh, great job. I'm like, uh-huh. Because <laughs> they also, you know, have kind of similar things. So um, the a lot of that anxiety, I think, was pressure that I put, well, I think comes in two places. Um, one, pressure that I put on myself to be perfect. And then, of course, since there is no such thing as perfect, that's an automatic fail. Um, and so then I would be embarrassed, pre, pre embarrassed for the social mistakes that I would probably make. And then also fluency, um, just not really knowing what to say or what to do. And then feeling anxiety about, about that. But when I am explaining a dog or just talking about a dog thing that I put a lot of thought into the motivation to get this stuff out of my head kind of overrides that. And it turns out I do know what to say because it's about, about trading or about dogs. And then as I kind of found that, and then I could kind of expand that bubble out and now I can talk about, um, you know, a few other things. Um, I was able to, to uh, being myself felt more confident, which is just really weird. And it's, uh, it sounds really circular. Like how, why were you more confident? Cause I was being more myself. Um, how did you get to be yourself? Well, I felt more confident. Um, but that's kind of the best explanation that I have right now um, for kind of where, I don't know, I'm just, stop me here. Um, Cause I'm, I'm now just talking. You are telling <laughs> the story of my life. You are, you have absolutely just laid out the story of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, super shy kid, really awkward, more comfortable with animals than with people. Uh, I made it all the way through college without taking any course that required public speaking. Cause I just rolled them out. Like, I will not speak in front of a group. That will not happen. No. 
And then someone was like, there's an opening for a dog trainer. Oh. <laughs> and the the passion to talk about dogs and work with dogs and be with dogs was motivation enough for me to go like, okay, now we're going to have a dog training class. And I was terrified forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you develop fluency, you get a little bit better and you care a little bit more and you stretch that comfort zone little by little. But it's really funny because nobody in the world would have predicted that I would be doing anything where I'd be speaking to people for a career because you you couldn't have paid me to do it as a child. There, there was yeah. nothing. There was no reinforcer high enough as a child to get me to do that. Um, only only penalties and punishments. You know, like you will fail this class if you don't do your book report. Okay, mm-hmm. then I will. But mm-hmm. you could have ice cream if you do a book report. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 uh, my I, my parents are still shocked. Um, yeah, at, at how I ended up, and um, I'm I mean, I'm still very introverted. That hasn't changed. But, um, but yeah, there's enough reinforcement for me in, in the discussions and the, the, the sharing and the connecting, like making connections and, and learning new things from the people that I talked to that, um, that, that, you know, that was where the reinforcer was. It was never going to be like, I don't like being the center of attention. I feel very uncomfortable, um, with that, which, you know makes marketing and promotion really hard, but um, you have to figure out ways around that because kids need shoes and dogs need incredibly expensive dog food. And, um, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. My parents are are still surprised. Um, I would still like probably pass out if I had to like give a speech at a wedding um, or, you know, do something like that would be terrible. Uh, oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. I'm getting kind of prickly sweaty thinking about it, but, um, once I get like really into like, let me show you this really cool video that I found and look at when I slow it down, look at the muscles twitching as this dog makes this movement. How cool <laughs> is that? Um, yeah. And if I'm with the people where they also care about that kind of thing, then, um, they're very reinforcing and neither of us are particularly awkward or we're, we're compatibly awkward, I guess. Yeah. Compatibly awkward is, is what <laughs> I've found for so many, you know, cause someone else will walk in and be like, you're really talking about that. And we're, we both not. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, in, in this area, we used to have a, a trainer's lunch bunch and like eight of us would get together fairly often. And we would laugh about what the waiter might think whenever they would come over to take orders or anything, because we would be deep in a discussion of, you know, the consistency of poop or, and, and all of us are in it and they'd be like, are you ready to order? And, oh yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, we're just saying mm-hmm. these four people had to hear conversations that weren't necessarily ones that they got from some of the other tables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a benefit in, in finding your people, finding your spot, finding your interest, finding your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the vast majority of pet professionals have had that experience of being a little bit more comfortable with animals than people. Not all, but but the vast majority have had that kind of experience of like, I see you and I can communicate with you and I've got this part. And mm-hmm. that human side's a little bit trickier. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Have you always been? Have you always been a person who has just really gravitated to animals? 
Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Like even as a, a small child, um, I, I would, I wasn't actually allowed to have a dog growing up. Um, in fact, you know, a point of tension in my family is that when I was in fifth grade, they got my brother a dog. Um, hmm. But I uh, know patriarchy. But anyways, um, it's fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I, if I didn't have, I mean, I did have, I had a fish and then, a, you know, a hamster and these, none of these last particularly long, unfortunately. Um, and then I, you know, was able to upgrade to a kitten. Um, and if I didn't have a live animal, I had imaginary animals that were my friends. I had a lot more imaginary animal friends than I had real human friends. I'm painting a picture that seems a little bit sad, but I feel like I had a pretty good childhood. It was, it was, I was perfectly happy alone in the backyard with a herd of imaginary horses um, that all had personalities and I would ride them. Uh, yeah. I mean, so that was, that's kind of how I grew up. And then as soon as I was out of the dorm, I did get a, my very own dog uh, who turned out to bite people. And so that's what got me into dog training. Like I think a lot, a lot of us. <laughs> you are just telling my story left yeah. and right the whole day. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's when, you know, one of the things that did help me was when I realized, cause you know, like you, I kind of fell into dog training almost by accident um, between having a dog that was a challenge and then getting kind of interested in it as I was trying to figure out how to not mm -hmm. be bitten anymore. Um, and um and yeah, and then I and then I ended up um, trying to do it professionally. Was terrified because why the hell would anyone listen to me? And um, and and also talking to people and making eye contact and stuff was 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 hard. Um, you know, easier by the time I'm 20 than you know than younger, and and you know easier still at 25. But then I realized, or I, it it I discovered, or I can't I don't even remember exactly when this happened, but a lot of these things are skills. They're not mm -hmm. personality. And, you know, part of, you know, part of that decade for me was recognizing that, that, um, that these are things that I can, there are resources out there. I can actually learn how to, uh, you know, air quotes, be a person, um, and, and talk to people. And, um, there are, so I was, I was the person, well, I never would make a phone call if I had to, unless I really had to. And then I would write out a script and rehearse it several times before I made the phone call. And I would sweat the whole time. And I still don't use the phone. Um, one of, one of my business decisions was I made, was I, I cut the phone number off and I took it off my business cards and I took it off the website and first contact is by email. And then I'll give out the phone number, um, once we have a relationship, but, um, that because that was really really stressful. It's a big stressor for me. Yeah. And after you know decades of feeling like something was wrong with me for being so uncomfortable with telephones, that it occurred to me that I am now a grown up and I could make the choice with the current technology to not use the phone rather than fighting about <laughs> it with myself all the time. Um, so, but but you know, discovering that you can use scripts as a starting point for like so many interactions, certainly in a, in a, in a business or a teaching setting. And then just like learning your times tables and just like learning like the foundation skill, I think for anything, you start with a recipe, you start with a script, but then you get fluent at that and it, you have a base to kind of freelance off of. Um, and it was really kind of getting to what I would now call a growth mindset and recognizing how much of this yeah. stuff that, you know, we call them soft skills, but um, Teresa McKeon from Tag Teach has since uh, has since convinced me that they're actually not that soft. These are very teachable mechanical skills. Oh yeah, 
just like food delivery, just like driving a car, like, like answering emails is a skill. And, and okay, that's another one I've struggled with, but, um, <laughs> but these are, these are things that I, I could learn. And then, you know, kind of, I, now I have like more of an internal locus of control. And so um, it helps that I'm also very nerdy about learning. And so, oh my gosh, this is just like teaching any of these other things. I can teach them to myself. I can find, you know, books and classes. And um, my new thing is I'm, I'm very interested in the nonviolent communication. And so I found a practice mm-hmm. group so that I can actually you know, get put in the, the repetitions um, to improve it yeah. because there's that gap between knowledge and, and skill. Um, yes. Yeah. We do that in, in my Unleashed Resilience um, membership group. Mm-hmm. One of the big things we're working on is having opportunities to practice some of these things, you know, because there is a gap between knowledge and skill. And mm-hmm. and it does feel artificial often in the beginning part of learning. Like my family jokes that um, I have a dog training persona, which I did have for, for years, like yeah. putting on my dog training persona as if I were comfortable leading a group class or, you know, right. giving a presentation or anything, and that it was something I had to put on and take off. And as I've gotten better, mm-hmm. it's just me in both places and that's good, mm-hmm. but it was, yeah. a, it was, um, scripts and learning skills mm-hmm. and developing some fluency and having safe places to practice mm-hmm. and to learn and do. And for things like nonviolent communication, which is, um, different, than how most of us speak, mm-hmm. having a place to practice it where it doesn't really matter right, gives you the chance to develop some comfort with it and to be able to notice what worked and what didn't work and iterate it. And I think that's awesome mm-hmm. and so nerdy, very nerdy. And so you, <laughs> you, you found a nerd who's like, oh, that's so cool. You have a practice yeah. group for that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> it's really funny to hear you just saying all of these things because I'm just like, well just go ahead and tell all my secrets just reveal my background because you are telling my story so much here with how you've developed your skills from a deliberate place mm-hmm. um, which is which is very much the growth mindset for me the the passion for dogs is what gave me the strength to keep going when it was hard Mm -hmm. Um, to develop that growth mindset, because it isn't always going to work the first time. And it is embarrassing and um, all of those pieces, but, but I want to try again and I can learn this and I can get better in that, you know, you either win or you learn kind of concept. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's not natural. That's not natural. That, that takes a little embracing for that. So what are your thoughts about like what are the common challenges that that behavior nerds might face? I mean, I think the 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 biggest challenge is not having anyone to talk to. I mean, I think that's probably true anytime the thing that you're passionate about isn't super mainstream. Um, we often end up, you know, you know, I'm you know the only one locally. Um, who trains the way that I do and cares about the things that I do, particularly to the degree, which is really um, potentially unhealthy, but I, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, having the internet is, um, yeah. is really huge. Like, you know, originally it was email, like, you know, Yahoo groups. Um, 
and then you know facebook became a thing and you know was able to to internet meet people and then um you know and develop some some you know friendships relationships at seminars and um and conferences cuz we, we tend to congregate um in numbers there and and then it, you know and then it's now i have somebody to talk about and so now i know you know, if I find something that's you know, really, really interesting because my family doesn't care, like they tolerate me, you know, in this area, um, but they don't want to hear about it. And, um, but now, you know, I have people I can, I can <laughs> hang my friend, Emily, like, oh my God, Emily, look, look at this, uh, look at this puppy I just worked with and, um, and you know, share that and, and have someone to, to share those things with and, and also to share, to, to ask puzzle to, you know, help solve a puzzle, um, when I don't know, <laughs> when I don't know what the answer, which is a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having people to talk things through with that you feel comfortable doing that with mm-hmm. requires all of the skills that you've already shared about the, the learning and the growth mindset and finding your people and being willing to be vulnerable. And, you know, where you talked before about your pre-embarrassment about like, I might not do this right now by having people, you know, you can rely on makes it easier to go, I don't actually know how to do this. What are your thoughts? Which, and there's no judgment there. And that's a, that's a tricky piece sometimes for us to find those people in our life, the people who can see us as still skilled, even when we say, I need a little bit of support here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, and they say even Tiger Woods has a coach or, well, he did. I don't know. This is, this is, I don't know. Maybe I need a new different example. Now he has a physical uh, therapist. Yeah. Now he's a therapist. Um, but it, there's nothing, and this was and this was a little bit hard um, because I did I actually didn't feel that much pressure at first, but it was applied like I heard people that I respected say like, oh, you can't take a training class um, because then you know your students won't you know, won't you you'll lose uh, authority, and I was like, oh really? Because I actually I love taking training classes and I love going to seminars and. Um, like I'm getting really, really excited about that. And I, my favorite thing about teaching is the stuff that I learn from the people that I'm teaching. So um, that was, it didn't, it did, it did because this is how my brain is wired. You know, it certainly triggered insecurity. Oh my God, am I, am I undermining my, you know, my authority, Yeah. but also I really like it. And so that doesn't really feel right. But then, you know, again, it just, you, you're, you're, I, I was a, a you know human athlete growing up. And so I, that experience really normalized having, um, receiving feedback, um, even, mm-hmm. you know, even at high levels, like there's always somebody coaching you. And so it doesn't make you, you know, less of a good swimmer or, you know, um, so, so I'm not sure what, I don't remember what your original question was about, but, um, but yeah, having, having so, and then, and then the other piece, this is the newer piece. This is this decade. Um, is that I'm going to share some of my screw ups. We'll say authentic training, which is, you know, fairly unedited. And there are going to be people who do judge me. And, um, one of the things that I've, then this is the very much work in progress. And, and, and so now this is a therapy session, but, um, one of the <laughs> things that I'm, I'm working on is, um, it's easy to say, not everybody's going to like you. Um, it's harder to not be devastated by there being a person who doesn't like you. And 
now I'm moving into, okay, there are going to be people who don't like me and they are going to judge me when I share those things and I'll be okay on the other side. Um, And that kind of acceptance piece, the whole like uh, pain is unavoidable, but suffering isn't, or I may have messed that one up. Um, You didn't. Yeah. So it's, you know, if I post, I mean, somebody post, I posted a video like recently on Facebook of something uh, of me, actually me working my dog at a seminar um, with an, another instructor. And I had several people reach out to me to tell me how brave I was for posting bad training sessions too. And I paused for a moment because I didn't really consider that to be a bad training session. <laughs> it wasn't a finished product. It was me learning and working through a new exercise that I'd never done before, you know, with, with my dog and, you know, getting, getting coaching, getting feedback and trying to apply it and, um, and then getting feedback on that and trying to, you know, incorporate this new thing. And, and I was like, I felt like that was actually a pretty good training session. Cause I didn't cry. I didn't fall into defensive explaining, which is usually what I do when I'm not really in a good place to get feedback. Um, like that, that was, that was me being good, but some people saw that and perceived it as not a perfect training session and probably had their own baggage. And, um, and I survived and I am okay on the other side. And there are still people who think that I'm all right. So um, that's, I mean, that's the newest, the newest piece for me um, is not to, not just to be like, I'm going to be okay and, and share my mistakes with the people who I trust to only say what I want to hear, but I'm also going to share real stuff and be okay when people, other people aren't, um, it doesn't make it easy. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but it's, it's, you're, uh, you're making perfect sense and it's really powerful and it's very difficult. So since you did say it's turned into a therapy session, I'm wondering, can I ask you one more question about it? Sure. What will be the impact for you when you can become more comfortable with Mm -hmm. that? Like not, mm-hmm. no one's ever going to get hundred percent comfortable with that, but what will be the impact for you when you can say, I'm going to share what I want to share and not worry about if people judge. I think it will be less, I think I'll just spend less emotional energy, which means I'll have more energy for other things that matter more. Um, yeah. You know, maybe for my kid, for my own dogs, for not like on the off chance that I were to do something non-dog and non-work related. Um, it's the, 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 that suffering, the worrying, the pre-worry that something bad will happen. And then the obsessing and ruminating afterwards, like, did I just say something stupid? Oh my God, what are they, are they going to think that, that I don't know this? Are they going to think like, oh my gosh, could, did that sound racist? Oh, what if it did? And, um, it's those ends of it that we yeah. can shorten the beginning and end of that yes. and not waste that emotional energy. Um, and that's something I have, I have wasted a ton of emotional energy on over the course of my life that you could probably power a small city um, with. And I think that's uh, true for all of us. The more yeah. people I talk to, the more I find we're all doing that. And it's, it's really disheartening to think mm-hmm. of all of these amazing, talented people who are wasting their energy with the pre-worry and the rumination. I mean, mm-hmm. both of that. Is a, so how old is your daughter? Seven. Seven. Okay. So she's at a, she's at a really bright and uh, inquisitive age for most seven-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to an eight-year-old in my neighborhood today. I find her delightful. Um, so tell me, how can you help your daughter develop some of these thinking skills 
to help her through? I mean, she can't do it perfectly, but how can you help her have a better experience? I am putting most of my money into modeling because one thing that parenting has taught me is it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to mm-hmm. do what you do. So um, trying to be honest and transparent and say, you know, I worry about that too. And here's what I tell myself. And then also do it in front of her. Um, like when it, because, you know, not, not so much in the last year, but like, you know, the, the, like you could, you're, you're, if you go to target with a kid, you're guaranteed parenting advice from a stranger in the aisles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels, <laughs> it, it is judgmental and it feels judgy. And I used to get really uh, uncomfortable and, I was like, oh, this is one of those places where I need to show what it looks like to let it roll off you. Um, yeah. Um, so it's that's where I'm trying to put trying to put most of it. Um, just narrate, you know, um, what I'm thinking, and and then also owning it. Like when I screw up, I apologize to her. Um, and that happens a lot more in the last year than it, than it, than it used to, but um, conditions, you know. Um, Behavior deteriorates under stress. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Been a bit of a pressure cooker. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, but you have really shown up for yourself in ways that are incredibly empowering and have have had amazing results. You know, you're, you're a highly regarded instructor. People are always flocking to see what you're going to teach and to think that you can help your daughter model some of these pieces starting from a young age and, and give her the, the freedom and the bandwidth to be her own nerdy, awesome self with whatever her passions are and perhaps shorten her little loops of, of her worries and her anxieties and her ruminations that's really powerful. So if you were to give one tip to all of the adult listeners here who have those loops, they're just too long. Um, what, what might you suggest people try to help calm that voice a little bit in their heads? Um, so I've actually become a big fan of, of ACT, access, uh, uh, acceptance and commitment training or acceptance and commitment therapy. It's spelled both ways, which is actually I find it really helpful because it was developed by Dr. Stephen Hayes and, and, and his team are, are coming from a behavior analytic background. And so the way that he talks about thoughts and emotions is very consistent to the way we talk about dog training. And so um, a lot of it is you know, very, it's you know, lots of overlap with like mindfulness and stuff that I've encountered in a lot of other places, but laid out in a framework that makes so much sense to me um, in terms of like you know, ABCs of behavior and a student behavior consequence. And, and um, when I put thinking and my thoughts into that kind of a framework, it makes it click for me. And now I have strategies that are again, very familiar. And so I can really, you know, borrow from my existing skill set um, and apply it like to my internal environment um, <laughs> and my, my, you know, covert behaviors, as we say, um, the stuff that mm-hmm. happens inside my head. And, um, and that, again, I found very empowering because this is all stuff that I have far more control over than I would have ever believed 10, 20 years ago. Um, yeah. 
and it's, it's, you know, it's again, it's slow. Like it's, you know, my reaction times are getting better when I realize, oh, you're flying off the handle here. But now I have, it's just like, it's, you're noticing like the reactive dog is starting to lunge and bark. And as you get a little bit better, you, you are able to intervene a little earlier and a little earlier. And then, and then now you're at the point where your reactive dog isn't going over the threshold really at all because you're so in tune with those early um, environmental and behavioral changes. And so like my brain is a reactive dog and it will lunge and bark. And um, as I start to notice like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this sensation. Like for me, frustration shows up a lot as like actually physically biting my lip. And if I get into the point where I'm biting my lip, I am making bad training choices and bad parenting choices <laughs> um, already. <laughs> and so, okay, what happens before that? And then how can I um, identify some of these things and then actually like uh, in, apply a substitute behavior um, inside of, inside of my brain, which is, I don't know, really weird and kind of creepy sounding now that I said it out loud, but but that's how I think about it. And um, so I've, I've found the, you know, the resources from um, Stephen Hayes and Russ Harris to be really, really helpful. And because of that, because of that framework, then also it's, it's had, this is where the nerd part comes in. Um, it's influenced how I think about my dogs and like how I work with confidence in dogs. And, um, and then, and then the feedback loop continues because it's just, there's, there's just so much that we have influence over and there's so much that we don't, um, that we can't control. Um, but it's not as much like there's so it, it, like every layer of this onion that I peel, like, well, I can't really change that, but there's so far, there's not a lot that I can't impact. I can't change other people's behavior. That's like the one thing that I've had to learn. That's again, that's my therapy piece. (laughs) I'm not responsible for your feelings and your behavior. I'm responsible for mine, but, um, but there's a lot that I can do um, on this mm-hmm. side of my of the interaction um, that I can learn. And again, it comes down to just actual skills, which, yeah, that um, gives I find I find very comforting. Uh, I may not have that skill today, but there's a way that I can get better at it. Um, yeah, I think that's so true. It's so true that um, you know life, life is long and, and our brains are definitely wired toward the, toward the more reactionary side. So we'll always kind of have moments of struggle with this, but there's a lot we can learn to do to, to navigate our emotions and to kind of control our responses to things and, and choose a different outcome, uh, Mm -hmm. how we want to think and feel and behave about things. And that's not to say it's easy, but it's so worth it. It's so much better. It's a practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a practice just like any skill. It's like learning to play the piano or learning to train a dog. Um, I'm bad at it a lot of the time and it gets a little bit smoother and a few pieces I can automate and I can get you know a little bit better. Um, and there's, and there's reinforcement because it does help. Um, it doesn't help in like a single session, which I'm always disappointed. Therapy, <laughs> Me meditation, <too. laughs> all these things. Like I like to sit down, do this meditation app for 10 minutes and then be a different person. And that Indeed. doesn't seem to work. You have to actually try. And I've never been a fan of that. That whole personal growth requires effort and practice, but um, <laughs> it's just a lot of damn work. But yeah, but it, it, but it is work that I can do and it is definitely worth, um, worth it for the payoff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is an awesome place for our for us to wrap up our discussion of nerds because 
I agree completely. I think that's really amazing. It's hard work, but it's worth it. So if people mm-hmm. wanted to learn more about you and the nerdy work you do, how could they do that? Um, you The easiest is go to my website, hannahbranigan.dog. Um, you can also find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, mostly Hannah Branigan. It's very easy. Um, and you can check out my podcast, Drinking from the Toilet, which is available in all of the usual podcast locations. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com, where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.